We did not find God. God found us. Jesus explains that he is the good shepherd who has come to the earth to seek and to save all who are lost. This is the amazing good news of God's love for us. John describes it like this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is not just a great moralist and philosopher who's come to earth to add to the collection of teachings of great men and women. If God had perceived that our greatest need was money, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a dictator. If he had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But God perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. With part one of a new series called Conversions, here's Pastor Allen. We're going to talk about how if you are a believer today, if you are converted, if you say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, we're going to try to encourage you and hopefully motivate you, inspire you to go and share your testimony with other people. We just heard a testimony of... Uh, a famous convert uh, of our days, of our time, who has made a difference in the country of Iran. And some of you may or may not know it, but he was recently released from Iranian uh, jail. He was uh, jailed for a number of years, and gone through, he's gone through all manner of difficulty and struggle. But he did it because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to talk about then over these next four weeks is, is the process. What happens? How does... How does a person come to the place where they follow Christ? And the first thing we're going to talk about today is what I'm calling the search. Okay, we'll see, we'll see what that means in just a moment. Just uh, this past week, little Chase Martins, two years old, was buried. Some of you have followed that closely in the news. The week before, he went missing, and they sent out search parties, literally hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, shoulder to shoulder, scouring the fields, trying to find this little boy, trying to find where this little life is. And you saw the sense of urgency. The police were involved. They brought in all sorts of equipment. Uh, they did everything in their power to find that little boy. And of course, as you know, uh, they found him too late. Well, here's what you and I need to understand. You've got to understand this if you're going to understand the Christian faith. One of the core teachings of Christ is that he is on the search for you. He's on the hunt for you. Did you get that? Jesus is on the hunt for you. Spurgeon said that God is the hound of heaven, the bloodhound of heaven. And the, the, the hound of heaven is not going to stop hounding you until he finds you or until you find him. Now, I just want to just point something out really quickly. This notion or this idea that I find God, that I found God, is just simply not true. God finds you. Did, did you get that? You did not find God. God found you. This is, again, one of the core teachings of the Scripture. And if you don't understand it, then you're really not going to understand what the faith is all about. Look what it says here. Jesus says this about himself. He says, Luke 19.10, please. For Jesus came, read it with me, for Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. 
Now you'll notice that he doesn't, doesn't say that he came to give you great economic instruction so that you know how to manage your money. He didn't come as an entertainer. He did not come as a philosopher, just a great teacher. He came to save us. That's why Jesus came to this earth. To, to search for the lost, and then when he finds them, to save them. You've got to understand that. So then what's the church's role? I'm glad you asked that question. The church, if you will, is supposed to be a search party. That's what we are. You and I are, are supposed to be linking arms and going out and finding the lost so that they may be saved. Would everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ say amen to that? Okay, so you've said amen to that. That tells me that either you're just blindly repeating whatever I say. I'm just doing as I'm told. You said to say amen, so I said amen. Or you really believe that. You really believe that that is the most important thing in the world. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If your Christian faith has lost its edge, you've lost your excitement, you've lost the fire, it's not as exciting as it used to be, there's a good chance it's because you have forgotten the core purpose of why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus didn't just come so that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came, first of all, to find you and to save you so that you would have life and have it more abundant. Now look, at we often focus on the abundant life, the eternal life, the new life. Great, two thumbs up. But folks, there is a process that precedes this that we cannot forget. And yet it's the thing that we so often forget. God has called us to join him in seeking and saving the lost. Now, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, um, I'm going to tell you this. He's going to continue to hunt you down. And in fact, you're going to sense a, a certain amount of uh, well, you're going to be uncomfortable, uncomfortable, frankly, until you surrender to him. That's just, that's just the long and the short of it. And I'm going to tell you this. His love, it will not let you go. His love is going to compel him to keep coming after you. And I'm going to say there's things that are happening in your life that are bringing you to the place where you're in church. Or uh, there's certain individuals that have come into your life and shared their testimony, maybe like the one we just heard, or like what we heard last week from Nick Hack. Wasn't that fantastic? So inspiring. People have come into your life, and you're in a place where you are being bombarded by this message. Look, this is not a coincidence. This is what we call the working of the Holy Spirit, or as I like to put it, the, the choreography of the Holy Spirit where God is working so that you keep getting this message and, and, and you just get, keep getting loved by people who call themselves Christians. You don't know where they're coming from and, and how they're finding you, but you just, you just keep on getting cornered by Christians. I'm going to tell you, uh, God's going to keep doing that to you until you finally say, okay, I get it, God. I get it. You want me to surrender. I'm going to think, I was just thinking about my own uh, conversion experience and how I came to Christ. Uh, my, my grandparents, they prayed for me and my family and invited us to church regularly. They never stopped. They were never rude about it. They were never judgmental or condemning, but they just kept on, you know, just kept on hammering away, like the hammer and chisel, just keep on hammering away until finally something gives. That's what happened in, in my life. So I, I got thinking about the ways that God 
uh, found me and, and, and the search that was involved in it. And I can tell you that in hindsight, I know that the Lord was seeking me out. And it did begin with my grandparents who, who persistently prayed for me and persistently uh, encouraged my parents to get my church, get us to church. And then it was there's my, my mother who um, uh, made sure that she drove us to church to get to the Boys Brigade pro- program and the Crusader program for my sister. He used impressions. He spoke to me uh, just, just in my thoughts, in my thinking, in my reflection. I remember at eight years old going to the, going to the Winnipeg Na- International Airport, which has now been torn down, so it tells you how old I am. And I was watching, uh, we're there to see my Uncle Jack and his family go to Africa as missionaries. Now, I had no idea what a missionary was. We were not really going to church at that time. But uh, something inside of me was so intrigued with that. And I, I needed to know, why would you leave Grandpa and Grandma and go to Africa. That did not make sense, to leave behind grandpa and grandma and go to, to be with strangers. And, and frankly, my cousins just said, well, because we're going to tell people about Jesus. And God began to use that, and it's working on my mind now. So God's, God's preparing me. The search is on. And, and then I think of my, my, my stockade leader, Alec McNeil. He, I was in his group. And nobody here knows who he is. In fact, probably most people at Calvary Temple today would have no, have no idea who Alec McNeil was. But he was my stockade leader. And Alec McNeil, he, uh, he loved me. He really loved me and cared about me, encouraged me and inspired me and, and was faithfully telling me about Jesus. And then God brought along Pastor Cantillon, who was the assistant pastor at Calvary Temple in the olden days. And Pastor Cantillon came to... Uh, came to speak to us kids. A very simple gospel message asked, who wants to become a Christian? And up, to, up on my feet I got. Me, pick me. I, this is what I want. And then God used my church, Calvary Temple, the church that I grew up in, to bring me to that place where God sought for me, sought me down, hunted me down, searched for me, and found me, and I was saved. Now, here's what I know about everybody here today. If you call yourself a Christian, then you've got a story. There are things that have happened in your life that have brought you to the place where you have surrendered your life to Christ and you are now following him. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ, if if you're not a Christian yet, you wouldn't say, no, I'm not a Christ follower yet. I'm interested, but I'm not there yet. I can tell you that you can now, if you look back, you can start to see a pattern of events and people come into your life to bring you to the place of full surrender. Now, um, something I want you to understand is this. God wants us to partner with him in this great hunt for the lost. He wants us to join him in seeking and saving what was lost. That is why Jesus came to this earth. Now, we have to go back to the Garden of Eden to really understand what this is all about. And you've, you hear me reference Genesis chapter 3 all the time. But I have to because it gives us an understanding of everything that follows. So we recognize that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they disobey God. They refuse to listen to what, what God commands. And what happens? They take the fruit. What was the fruit? Ah, uh, you're not falling for it this time. We don't know what it is. We just know it's fruit. 
You took the fruit, and they, and they ate. Against God's command. Remember, God commanded in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God says, on the day that you eat that fruit, you will surely die. And that's what happens. In that moment, they were lost for eternity. They were utterly and completely lost. And so from that day on, God puts into motion his plan to seek and to save all of us because we are lost. You need to understand that. So here's what the Bible declares about us in Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Did you get that? For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Tell the person beside you that means you. Go ahead, just then. Yeah. So, so we all understand that, right? And you can say that to me. And well, that means you too. So now we're just clear on that, right? Every one of us has fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us needs to be sought out and needs to be found. This is the, this is the thing that we need to understand because that's what Christianity is about. It's all about you and I being found by God and you and I being saved if we are willing to put our faith into him. Now, to illustrate this, to teach us, and to help us to understand God's plan for humanity... Jesus speaks in parables, and over the next four weeks, we're going to be just sharing parable after parable that Jesus used to describe or to explain to the Jewish people what his plan is for us. Now, some of you, you've heard this before, and your t- the temptation for you now is to say, oh, I know all this, I'm not listening anymore. Was it something I said? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Okay, so listen, watch this. Because if you're here today thinking, I know all this, I've already heard all this, I could, I could recite this, I could be up there, Pastor, saying exactly what you're saying. Okay, just stop for a minute. Because here's the problem with North American Christianity. Is that we have got so much information crammed into our heads that we think that because we have this information, that's all we need. That there is nothing, nothing more dangerous than believers who are full of information that don't do anything with it. Can I say it again? There is nothing more dangerous than believers who are full of information but don't do anything with it. And that, my friends, is the problem with the church in North America today. And the reason I say that, and you say, Pastor Allen, how can you say that? Just check the statistics. You'll see for yourself. The church is not growing in North America the way it is in third world countries and many places in the world. We've got a problem. We, believers today have more Bibles, more, more reference tools. They've got access to, to internet tools that was unheard of, that nobody had. We've got more information, more Bibles, more Bible helps, more study helps, and more information, more TV programs, radio programs, CDs, podcasts, and so on and so forth. We, we can go to any rally, any teaching, any, any uh, preaching point. We can go to church. We can hear preaching day in and day, on, day out if we want. But the question is this, what are you doing with it? In fact, let me ask you this question. When is the last time that you led somebody to Christ? I, I hear crickets. When's the last time you invited somebody to church? 
Because here's the thing. When you stand before Jesus someday, he's not going to ask you, well, did you learn the scripture off by heart? Could you recite it from Matthew all the way to Revelation? Do you know it in the Greek? How about the Hebrew? Do you know the Hebrew? Are you able to decline that verb? Can you tell me, uh, can, you, can you recite to me the genealogies listed in Matthew? What about Luke? Can you, can you list that? I can tell you right now. All those of these things are important. That is not Jesus' last instructions to us, right? What were Jesus' last instructions to us? You will be my witnesses. Go out. Go out and search. Go out and find those who are lost and bring them in. Pastor, and I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do what you do. Look at, it's not easy for me either. Janet Chow was saying this past week, you know, maybe we should go knocking on doors again. I can say, I can tell you most people in this church would not want to do that. How many would like to sign up to go knocking on doors? Two hands, that's it. See, Janet, I told you. (laughs) And yet, and yet Jesus tells us to go. So don't tell me how well you know your Bible. I don't really give a care. I don't care. What I really care about is are you leading people to Jesus Christ? Are you introducing them to your Savior? See, Pastor Allen, don't you care if I know the Bible? Of course I care if you know the Bible. I want you to memorize it. In fact, I've just asked people to read it from Genesis to Revelation. Of course I care about that. But what matters more is this. this. Are people coming to Christ because of you? Wow. Pastor Allen, if I knew you were going to be talking about this, I would have slept in this morning. (laughs) And yet it's the teaching of Christ. It's the passion of Christ. It's the passion of the disciples of Christ. What is a parable? Anybody know what a parable is? I'll tell you what it means. You're going to laugh at me now because I just finished talking about how we shouldn't be focusing on the Greek. (laughs) Parable in the Greek simply means to set beside. In, In the English translation, that would be a comparison. It's to help us understand the truth. So Jesus tells a story, and through that story, he helps us understand what his will is, what his purpose is. Jesus tells two parables. One is the parable of the lost coin, and the other is the parable of the lost sheep, and the other one is the parable of the lost son. We call it the, the, the prodigal son. Let me just quickly tell you this, or read to you this parable from Luke chapter 15, 8 to 10. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? By the way, those coins represent her dowry. And an incomplete dowry means there's no marital contract, means there's no marriage going to happen. So she knows that if she doesn't find that lost coin, she's literally up the creek, to use the vernacular. Which in the Greek means... She hasn't got a chance. (laughs) And then Jesus says, when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I've just found my lost coin. In other words, the marriage is still on. Marriage is still on. Rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In this way, 
Jesus says. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Are you getting this this morning? Jesus is calling you and I to be involved in this great work of finding the lost. And Jesus is the one who leads the charge. That's why Jesus came, to seek and to save those who are lost. Not to, not to ram religion down their throats, but rather to save them, to give them a hope, to give them a future. And then Jesus tells the story, the parable of the lost sheep. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Will he say, no, this is not in the Bible, but will he say, well, I've got 99, what's one lost sheep, right? Everything's cool, I've got my 99, you know. It's just one sheep. No, no. Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go to search for the one that is lost? Yeah, that's God. That's, that's the way Jesus works. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will, watch this, that even one of these little ones should perish. Did somebody hear that this morning? It's not God's will that any should perish. Did you hear that this morning? It's not God's will that any should perish. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're telling me today that your passion is to know God and to do the will of God, well, then your passion then has got to be for the lost. We call that the transitive property, if we have any mathematicians here. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that the lost are critical to Jesus. Now, I want to ask you a question today. Is Jesus looking for you? In other words, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Would you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, some of you are just going to say yes without even thinking about it. But I've got some shocking news for you today. Not everyone who goes to church on Sunday has been found. Did you hear that? Not everyone who goes to church every Sunday is, in fact, a Christian. They're not necessarily a follower of Christ. Not everyone who has grown up in the church is a Christian yet. Did you get that? Because we have this notion of this idea, well, I grew up in the church, therefore I must be a Christian. Can I tell you this today? You cannot be a Christian because, just because your parents are a Christian. You don't come into the, into the kingdom of heaven on the coattails of your parents or your grandparents. This is why we don't, ba we don't baptize babies in our church. Because this is your decision. You come to the place to put your faith in Christ and you say, I want to be baptized. A baby does, has no choice to matter. A baby wakes up one morning, mom and dad pack her, pack her or him up and take him to the church. The next thing you know, the baby's being greased up if you're Greek, Greek Orthodox or you've got water poured on your head if you're... Presbyterian or Roman Catholic or High Anglican. You know, the baby has no idea what's going on. The baby screams his head off, her head off, because she, quite frankly, is, is probably not in favor of this. <laughs> this is your decision, something you do. And so I want to just ask you this morning, if you've grown up in the church, or if at some point in your life you said, well, Pastor Allen, I said a sinner's prayer at some, some point, some time. I, I remember there's a, there's a crusade that came to town. 
And I remember going forward, so therefore I think I'm a follower of Christ. Well, before you, before you jump to that conclusion, I, I want to just remind you of what God is looking for. Look what it says here in Acts 17.30. But now God commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and to turn to him. Did you get that? But now God commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and to turn to him. Now, some of you are here this morning, you're looking at those arrows, and you're thinking, what does that mean? What is that? Is it directions to how to get off the stage? <laughs> Actually, it's the, it's, it represents what repentance is. On the one hand, you were going in this direction all your life, and the moment, the day that you repented, the day that you said, I, I no longer want my old life. I want the new life that Jesus offers. Repentance means that you stop going in that direction and you literally turn directions and you go in that direction. That's what repentance is. It means whatever direction you're going in before, now you're going to go 180 degrees the other direction. Get it? That's repentance. And God says he commands everyone, everyone to rep everywhere to repent of their sins. So in that direction, you're going towards your, your sinful lifestyle, doing whatever you want to do, and now you're going in that direction, doing what God wants you to do. Jesus is calling us to repent, and then secondly, he's calling us to live a brand new way. He's calling us to follow him. Now, look what it says here in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. Does that represent anybody here today? If you're, you're just overwhelmed by life, you're overwhelmed by your, by your religious duties, you're trying to please God, you're trying to honor God, you're trying to win favor with God, you're trying to get brownie points so that when you, if you should die and you stand before God, you'll have a nice long list of, of good deeds that you did. This, it's not going to work. Jesus says, look, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to take the burden off your shoulders. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says. Let me teach you, because I'm humble, and I'm gentle at heart. In other words, Jesus, I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to condemn you or judge you or put you down. I'm, I'm not a, a hard taskmaster. Jesus is not standing there with a whip driving us on to be Christians. That's, that's not what Jesus is describing here. Jesus says, come to me. I'm going to teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. Folks, that's what Christianity is. That's what it means to follow Christ. Christ finds us, and he saves us, and he introduces us to a new life of total and complete rest in him. And I'm going to tell you today, if you haven't got that rest, if you haven't got that peace in your heart, then there's, there's maybe you need to take a look, a second look at your life to see where you're at. The mark of a Christian is someone who follows in the footsteps of Christ. By the way, that's why we teach the seven habits in our church to teach you what you need to do once you have surrendered your life to Christ. The seven habits are the, just the behaviors of Christ. It's how Jesus lived his life, and it's how he taught his disciples to live, to be like him. Now, my prayer is that if you've grown up in the church or just assumed, well, I'm a Christian, that today you'll actually examine your heart and come to that place of full surrender. And if you do, 
You say, Pastor John, you know, I'm not even sure if I really am converted. I don't, I'm not sure if I really, if my life is truly being transformed. I'm not sure if I'm really a Christian. Then it, if, if you feel that, that tug in your heart, that, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart, all you need to do is say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. That's repentance. And God, give me the grace and strength to turn from thy direction and go in a brand new direction. And you say, oh, Pastor, what do I do after that? Start living up the seven habits. Start changing your behavior. Because I can tell you this, you'll never get rid of your bad habits, but you can replace them. And that's exactly what Nick Hack said last week. I'm going to ask you now just to watch this video clip with me, and then we'll close. <laughs> 